Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. If you were with me last week, you know we started a study in the book of Philippians. Somewhere between 59 and 61 AD, Paul wrote a letter to probably, arguably, his favorite church, the church at Philippi. He was in his first imprisonment in Rome at the time. The reason being, his first imprisonment, that later on he would be imprisoned and actually executed under the hands of Nero, the emperor of Rome, around 68 AD. So approximately eight to ten years before he was executed, he writes a letter to a church that he had visited and established ten years before. Paul and a man named Silas were going throughout the then-known Roman Empire, establishing churches, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, Paul and Silas were accompanied by a physician named Luke. Luke wrote the account that you see in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. That was penned by Luke, the beloved physician. And as Paul and Silas and Luke were going along on their church planting work, They went through a place called Lystra and a place called Derbe, and there they found a young man named Timothy. And they were so impressed, not only by what they saw and heard, but by the track record of Timothy's life, that he was invited to join as a mentoree of the Apostle Paul. And over time, he went from a mentoree to a son in the Lord, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He didn't get there overnight. But he began to come under the ministry of Paul as Paul went through the very first city that he had an assignment to observe how Paul would operate was Philippi. We went back to Acts 16 last week and we talked about what happened in, the, in Philippi where the church was founded so that 10 years later we could better understand the letter back to the Philippian church. 10 years before, as Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy walked into Philippi, they only did so because they had a different plan that was shut down by the Lord. We found out last week that they intended to go somewhere else. They intended to go to Mysia. They intended to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. Sometimes you have every evidence to believe that this is the next right step. And sometimes the Spirit will not permit you. He will do that by one of two ways. The Spirit will shut you down 
either by internal witness warning you, I don't want, no, he will withdraw your peace. And when the peace of God is withdrawn, you've got to stop and see what he's saying. So sometimes internally the Holy Spirit will say, don't go there. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will orchestrate from the outside. It's not only always from the inside, but sometimes he will circumstantially close or open a door that lets you know that the way you were going was not the highest and best after all. He dwells on the inside of you, but the Bible also says that the Spirit of the Lord has been poured out across the whole earth. He is at work, not only interior, but on the exterior of his family. So here they go from what we read last week, from the church being added to daily to being shut down and disallowed to do what they felt like they were best at. You ever been placed in a, in a position where you just seem out of sync? You don't seem, it doesn't feel like you're good at it. It doesn't seem like you're getting many results. But for whatever reason, you know that either in, on the inside of you or through the external manipulation of circumstances by God who is sovereign, that you are where you are, you just don't particularly like. Some of you are smiling. You know what I mean, don't you? So here they go from the church being added to daily to going into Philippi. And what we learned last week is the first encounter that is recorded that they had was instead of going to the synagogue, they went to a women's prayer meeting. There were a group of women who were gathered by the river and instead of going to the synagogue as was their normal routine, they went to the women's prayer meeting and there the Lord said that they ministered the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And the Bible told us there that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to believe. The greatest evangelism you can do is through prayer asking the Lord to open the hearts of those for whom you're concerned. Because unless the Spirit draws you, they're not going to believe anyway. Jesus said that. Ask the Lord to open the heart to receive that for which, that which he wants to do. He opened the heart of Lydia. Lydia took these men home with her, introduced them to her husband and entire family, they all were saved, they were all baptized, and they were all operating out of her house temporarily. Like I said last week, must have had a big house. Next, they were walking to go to their next assignment and they come across the demon-possessed teenager who was a slave owned by certain businessmen who were making profits and money off the fact that she had the spirit of divination. That is, she could look into the spirit realm and make certain forecasts and tell certain information that made people pay money to go have their fortunes told. And she made the mistake, <laughs> by God's providence, 
of constantly interrupting Paul's ministry and his teaching, and at first he ignored it. But then the Bible says, after many days, Paul being greatly annoyed. How many of you know that not all anger is wrong? Paul being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit indwelling that teenage girl, in the name of Jesus Christ you come out of her. And immediately the spirit departed. And the spirit of divination was gone. And the devil's information. You see the devil operates in a realm where he can see a lot. But how many of you know that everything he can see he always spins into a lie. Because Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. John 8.44 so even if he's seeing facts, he always lies about the truth of those facts. Their prophets were gone. They threw, they took Paul and Silas before the magistrates, the judges, the Roman authorities. They were stripped. They were beaten. They were placed in jail. The earthquake came and released them. The jailer was miraculously saved, as was his household, as we talked about last week. Here's a question for you. If you were wanting to plant a church, would you take somebody out of where they were just blowing and going and seeing all kind of results make them go through some confusion, would you do it that way? If you were going to plant a church, would you go and, be, and have as your first agenda a Jewish woman who had no authority, women had no authority whatsoever in the synagogue, would you find a Jewish woman at a prayer meeting and want her to be your first convert? Would your next member of the church, would you choose a teenage slave girl who was under the influence of the devil? And would you want your next member of the church to be somebody who had no idea anything about spiritual things? He was a pagan Roman who, who enjoyed his job of incarcerating criminals. Would that have been your choice? Think about this church. A Jewish businesswoman, a teenager who was indwelt by the spirit of divination, and a pagan jailer. That was the heart of the church Paul planted in Philippi. So here's my question to you. Would it make sense that if you will just seek the Lord and trust Him and, and ask Him to bring about that agenda that you desire for, for Him to have through you, wouldn't it make sense that He knows better how to get done what He has assigned you to do than you do? Do you know that this church became Paul's favorite? He says, I have you in my 
You're constantly in my prayers. Nobody participated with me like you did. You are my joy, my crown. What I'm trying to tell you is that everything that you're going through that doesn't quite look like this is the way you had it envisioned, God is up to something in your life. You're not forgotten. He has you on an assignment. He knows right where you are, and you are on the track. If you will just open your eyes and heart and say, God, here I am today. I'm going to quit trying to force the way I think it ought to look. I surrender to you. Show me my assignment today. You're big enough to get me where I need to be and do it the way you want it done. We saw last week that that was the buildup. That was the groundwork for the church at Philippi that continued, obviously, to grow. In fact, he says there in verse 1 of Philippians 1, 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Remember, we defined a saint. A saint is not somebody who has reached a level of performance that's way up there. A saint just means a true believer. Can I tell you something? Every one of us have holes in our performance. Your pastor has weaknesses and failures and there are a lot of things I don't get right. Not because I'm not getting, I'm trying to get them wrong, but I've got this stuff on and uh, you know it's kind of inherent in the flesh that we don't always, look, a saint is not somebody who gets there by performance and you know do what you want to but there's no evidence in Scripture that you ought to pray to a saint. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. To all the saints with the bishops and deacons. I told you last week that a bishop is also the word episkopos in the Greek. It means overseer. It's interused interchangeably with elders. And we have, we have thought of bishops in our religious culture, and it's okay, I don't have a problem with it, but as a bishop is usually an overseer of overseers. That is, a shepherd to shepherds. Many years ago, and it's real, many years ago, I went to the most respected bishop, an overseer of sheep, and an overseer of hundreds of ministers. And I told him about what I felt like the Lord was doing in my life. I told him about how we were ordaining and walking through and, and, and observing men and women who were called into ministry and giving them a, a place of covering. And I talked to him about my heart for that. This has been years ago. And I asked this bishop, do you see that there is a calling of bishop in me. He said, I do see that. Sometime later, by the way, he had observed my life for at least 10 years. 10 years. I was sitting in a service, and this bishop in charge of the service Spontaneously, I had no clue. Call me out in front of the whole congregation. 
and call me to the front. And he said, this man meets the spiritual criteria of a bishop, and I'm asking all the overseers in here today to come forward and to lay hands on this man and to join me in recognizing and ordaining him as a bishop. Something changed in me. I don't understand all about spiritual dynamic. But I do know that in Scripture that there are certain things that are transferred through the laying on of hands or the Lord wouldn't have instituted it. Something changed. The season of my own spiritual journey changed. Does that mean that now you get more accolades? Just the opposite. It means that I now have a whole lot more burden of responsibility and service. It's a tough deal. Internally, I can't rest from the time my eyes open. I can't rest until I have gone through name by name to all the people who are under my spiritual covering and their families. I can't rest. There are no accolades to that. It's not about recognition. It is about a new level of responsibility to serve. So I'm telling you, if you call yourself bishop, you better be able to say that it's not because you wear long robes or drive fancy cars and live in mansions. It better be because there is a calling on you and a divine responsibility that is heavy. The overseers. And I told you last week, bishops and elders' primary responsibility is spiritual leadership through prayer, through encouragement, and deacons. I think Scripture talks about there being a difference between elders and bishops and deacons. Deacons are those who are to serve the church in the physical and administrative and material needs. Look at Acts 7 if you want proof of that. Then we talked about last week how grace and peace comes from God our Father, but can be spoken through spiritual leadership into the lives of those who will hear. He says, I thank my God upon every... We got through two verses last week, so we're in new ground now. I th By the way, you know what? I need, I need to clean up a little something that I started last week. When we were talking about the teenage girl who was delivered from the demon, I talked about the fact that I don't believe that a reborn person in, in whom the Holy Spirit lives. I don't believe that in your heart of hearts, in your spirit, man, that the Holy Spirit and a demon can coexist. I do believe, though, that on that outer level of your spiritual man, you have an inner core that is your spirit. You have an outer level of your spirit man that are connected. They are inseparable, but they are distinguishable. You get the difference? They are inseparable. You can't pull your soul out of your spirit 
or your spirit from your soul. They are both part of that spiritual nature of you that's going to live forever. But in your heart of hearts, in your core, in your spirit man, you are reborn by the Spirit of God, and he doesn't coexist with a demon. On that outer core of yours that's called your soul is your mind, your emotions, your volition, your will. And on that outer core, you can be under the influence of demonic oppression, not possession, but oppression. What would that look like, Pastor? Surely you know what having an oppressed mind feels like. Y'all are looking at me like you've never experienced it. You ever had demonic oppression? Let me put both hands up. What would that look like? Well, in street language, it would look like something like this. I am plagued by sometimes unreasonable fears. How do you know that there is a spirit of fear? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Wow. So if the Bible calls fear a spirit, why would I not? So sometimes my mind can be assaulted by fear. Another demonic oppression might be anger. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. Because it gives the devil an opportunity. Hmm. So if I refuse to deal with my anger, might the devil have an opportunity to oppress my mind? Yes or no? Oppression. Here's another oppressing spirit. Condemnation. How do you know that? The Bible says that Satan is an accuser of who? Christians, the saints, the brothers. He's an accuser. The enemy, you've got all kind of evidence that the Lord has totally forgiven you and he has placed his righteousness on the inside of you. But the enemy will constantly try to make you define yourself by your track record of choices. He will constantly try to get you to define who you really are and what you're really like by certain choices that you've made. An accuser of the brethren. You couldn't possibly be, you couldn't possibly know the Lord or be on the right track because of look what you thought, look what you chose. Look, 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 look. An accuser of the brethren. Condemnation is an oppressing spirit. Now I want you to be real honest with me. I got both hands up here. Am I the only one that has to have had to deal with condemnation, the spirit of condemnation, or is anybody else in here? Well, I feel a little better. You're at least alive. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So if I have a condemned mind, I need to say according to the way I look to God, I am in Christ Jesus. I demand the spirit of condemnation to leave my mind in the name of Jesus Christ. Would that be a legitimate prayer? You're not going to get there by thinking it because the devil is not omniscient. And besides, everything that I see in Scripture, God's Word indicates to me that the removal of evil spirits comes about through the issue of a command, a verbal command. In the name of, under the authority of Jesus Christ, I demand you to leave my mind in Jesus' name. What, if, what do you do if it doesn't leave right away? You persist. You persist. I demand the spirit of fear to leave my mind. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Can you do that? Issue the command. But understand this, that you've also got to close the door. You can tell a thief to get out of your house and even call the police, but if you leave your doors and windows open, all you're doing is saying, come on back in. Make up your mind. You know, I'm not going to live this way anymore. You didn't get this part last week. Close the door, issue the command, and call for covering. You've got to call for backup. Because there's some times when the oppression of the enemy is so hard and so persistent that if you don't have backup, you're not going to succeed very easily. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I don't think I could tell anybody that I'm struggling and I need prayer because I'm being oppressed. You need to understand that that's an issue of pride. We're in a body and we all need somebody else. There are no supermen in this walk. When somebody cries out to me for prayer, I don't say, oh, God, they're a weak person. I say, there's a champion right there. They're coming out of the dark into the light. I'll join them in the fight. Amen. Close the door, issue the command, and call for backup. Okay, give me two minutes. I want you to see in verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship, that is your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Who are you partnering with in the propagation of the gospel? Anybody in spiritual leadership? You say, are you raising funds, Pastor? No, I'm asking you a question. Are you in partnership with whoever your spiritual leadership is? 
Notice he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Who is praying for you? In a place of... I thought the Bible says that I have just as much access to the throne of God as any spiritual leader there is. You do, because the only qualification is, do you know Jesus? Well, he's the high priest. But did you also know that the evidence of Scripture lets us know that the, like the examples for us over and over and over again, that for whatever reason God has chosen there to be certain ones who are shepherds of the sheep who have a responsibility to go before the shepherd of the sheep on behalf of the sheep he's been assigned. It's real. Do you have that? I want to tell you something. If you're a part of this fellowship, you need to know that every single day of my life, I pray the scriptures over you and I have certain things the Lord has guided me to pray for he hadn't released me from. Somebody is interceding for anybody who's called to be a part of this flock by a shepherd. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now Look at verse 6, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God not finished it. He started a mighty work in you. You may be in an assignment right now that is so painful, you don't know if you can go another minute. He's not going to leave you alone. He started that work. He'll be faithful to complete it. He's already seen your tomorrows and won the victory over everything you'll ever have to face. Let's all stand. Let's sing that chorus together. He who began a good work. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.